0: Welcome to another episode of the AWS Developers Podcast. This is a new voice on the podcast. My name is Brooke Jamison. I'm guest co-hosting this alongside Dave Izvitsky. Today we're talking with Justin Carlison. Uh, Justin, your current job title is the General Manager at AWS Step Functions. One of the things I did during reInvent, people may have seen this on social media, I had like a butterfly wand with a microphone attached to it. And I made all these interviews with people in the AWS cinematic universe about what their first job title was in tech and then how that's led to where they are now. So Justin, even though you're the general manager of AWS Step Functions, what was your first job in tech? Yeah. My first job was in customer support. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's I, a little bit of a change.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was and, and that itself was a bit of a change because I didn't study computer science at university. I studied biology, math. Um, I was oh. planning to be a doctor and, I you know, graduated in the, when the dot-com boom was going on. There was a lot of opportunity in technology, and I was still applying to medical schools. And so I found myself getting a job with a software company. And uh, at the time, it was a very interesting scenario because I had literally no experience, um, but got on with a company that uh, hired people who they thought had the potential to grow. Um, I didn't intend to be there for very long, and I've, uh, I've ended up spending the rest of my career in technology.
0: So good. I think it's really important to talk about some of this stuff. I do lots of sort of outreach work with students and I am on TikTok, so I see lots of young people there. And I think so much of tech content is only focused on where people are now in their shiny, fancy jobs in techs. But lots of people have had such a strange pathway to there. Yeah. So I think it's always really important to show the, the journey along the way. Have you had any weird standout job titles between customer service and now?
1: Oh, I had a job while I was in in quality assurance. I had a, like a release engineer, performance engineer. I did some consulting. Um, I've had a, most of my titles within tech have been relatively straightforward. Um, but I really like what you said. One of the experiences I've had is um, there's a lot of diversity in tech, maybe a lot more than people would realize. I, I value Man. diversity in all its dimensions. And I mean, I'm a big fan of this saying, you know, if everybody's thinking the same, somebody's not thinking. And I love when we bring together to approach these technical problems. When you have someone who has an expertise in statistics or an expertise in psychology or these different mix, we we tend to come up with far better technology solutions when we have people with a, a broad range of backgrounds.
0: Yeah, I always talk about it like you've got a little toolbox with you and all the things you've learned along your career, you just keep in the toolbox. And then when you're trying to solve a problem as a group, everyone can reach into the toolbox and have a look and see how they might go about it. Um, And having different sorts of toolboxes there really can help you when you're solving some tricky problems.
1: Another angle I've heard on that there's a, uh, a well-known market research sort of luminary named Ray Pointer. And he has presented at times saying he, he he recommends to people do the thing you're second best at have something that is your core thing. You're a musician or you're something, and then go into a career that is something you're second best at. And then you'll be, make a bigger contribution because you'll have these special characteristics. So,
0: Yeah, no, it's great to see. Um, have, have you seen the cloud change as part of your career as you've moved through? Was there a big change that happened or was it more gradual?
1: Yeah, I think it has changed a lot, but I think also my perception has changed. So my real first introduction to the cloud was when I was uh, VP of engineering for a, a market research technology company who was, you know, not, very forward-looking in a lot of practices around continuous delivery, um, SaaS, and we were really looking to, to achieve scale and to grow. And and we also wanted to grow geographically. And so we had some folks who said, you know, let's onboard to, to AWS. And at the time, I kind of had a peripheral understanding. I'm like, oh, you can put your, your virtual machines up there. I'm like, I'm having a trouble understanding the networking stuff. And so I just didn't really get it that much. And then... Um, in 2014, I went to reInvent as a customer, um, oh, nice. and I was a bit dubious, to be honest, when I went. I'm like, geez, we're going out to Vegas with a bunch of people, like, is this just a boondoggle? Um, and I was just utterly blown away by the quality of the conference, by the quality of the content. There were eight of us, and we had to coordinate every hour to make sure that we were in different sessions. Um, and, you know, we had they launched, Lambda launched that year, um, Aurora launched that year. I I call myself a recovering DBA because I used to be a DBA, um, and so when I heard Aurora, I'm just like, "Wow, this is just—it just opened my mind," and I came back completely convinced and went, uh, you know, to my colleagues and said, "We we have to do this," and so we we pressed forward on that career on, on that that trajectory. We onboarded, and then while we were with AWS and building a lot of our new part of our platform on it, we ran into a problem where. Our, our folks wanted to build point-to-point data transfer uh, system. And we had actually done probably three or four of these. And I felt I didn't want us to just continue to rebuild something that we didn't really feel was special. And we had enterprise supports. We had TAMs, which are just a really fantastic way to really stay close to what's happening within within AWS. And we were having a meeting with them and they were like, we were looking through options. And one of them said, well, there's this service called Step Functions. I think this might actually be what." What would work for you? And we looked into it and I said, I think that's perfect for what we're doing. Um, And so we adopted it and started to use it. And then fast forward a little while, I left that that, uh, company, I was looking for my next job. And lo and behold, I saw uh, a job posting for a role in Step Functions. And that's sort of how I made my way here. When was Step Functions launched? Launched in 2016. Wow. Why
2: don't we kind of baseline the tech here a little bit for, we do have a lot of people who, you know, are part of that serverless crowd out there, get the buzz, have probably, you know, touched Lambda and maybe some, but for folks who are not, why don't we just kind of baseline serverless Lambda and what AWS sub functions are?
1: Sure. So Lambda, uh, a lot of people know really well, Um, serverless compute service, you know, run code in response to events. You can, it's, it's really just an, an amazing service. Um, and it allows you to really simplify. You just write your code. You provide that to the Lambda service and you don't have to worry about managing anything else. You don't need to manage servers to run this on. You can easily connect it to many other event sources um, and you only pay for the time that it runs. And as someone who's you know, uh, a few gray hairs and been around a while and knows how much work goes into Building not just the infrastructure, which is what cloud really brought, but then also building your applications in a way that they can be economical and effective at zero all the way up to any scale. And being able to build in that way is just a a fantastic delivery for what Lambda does.
0: Yeah, no, it's really important. Uh, One of the things with talking to young people on TikTok is that it's really hard to get across the importance of pay only for what you use as a value of AWS, uh, because people don't realize truly how bad it was beforehand or what you had to do to set things up or even like how to set up a database before. Uh, Do you have any way that you would explain that to uh, some more entry-level people in tech if they're cloud native, they've only ever used the cloud, what would have to happen before this?
1: It's, It's hard because, you know, it's hard to not end up being the person saying, you know, I had to walk to school in the snow uphill both ways. But it's kind of how it—it it feels like that is a reality, because it really was that hard before. You know, when I when I think early in my career, when I was working for an ed tech company who wanted to do wanted to host their service at it was an, what we called an application service provider model before SaaS really existed. Right. In order to do that, we had to uh, find a place that we could rent space, a cage where we could have power coming into it. We would need to make a big contract with these people and commit to doing it for years. We had to hire a whole bunch of incredibly specialized people who knew how to manage that stuff. We had to buy hardware that costs, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. We had to buy support contracts that were hundreds of thousands of dollars. We had to get those things put in there. We had to wire them up. Then we needed to operate them. Then we needed to think about, okay, well, when are we going to replace these things? What happens if they fail? We need to buy more because if they fail, it's up to us to do that. And so you're talking there about like millions of dollars of investment in hardware, infrastructure, and people just to get a website out on the net.
0: Yeah. Too much lead just time to as get well. Started.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like years, years of time to build, let alone to build the business case to do it. So, in order to do these things, because the investments are so high, You really had to be highly confident that your idea was going to be successful. And so it also really impeded the number of ideas that were tried. And it really limited the creativity because you really had to be sure this was going to work before you're going to go spend millions of dollars in doing it. Whereas today, you can have an idea, you can get it out there. And and we have some of our customers who talk, you know, in like days or weeks, they've got something out there at like huge scale there's some really great um videos from uh taco bell where they talk about this and some of the stuff that they've been able to accomplish you know three weeks to like large scale production systems and the cost and the ability for developers to shift from being you know behind this wall of having all these people in front of them that they have to work through and they have to talk to them in ways that they're not really used to doing and it just removes all of that and really unlocks the innovation of developers
2: I love it. It really changes the way you think as a developer too. We did an episode on uh, observability and sustainability. And I remember when Lambda, I think it might've been reInvent last year where we dropped down the billing to, I think it was a hundred milliseconds of compute time versus what we had, or maybe it's 10. I forget the exact number, (laughs) but it was low uh, of, of what you could try out. And just thinking in terms of, am I using the right size for my lambda function where I'm actually using more electricity like I can actually reduce the amount of compute time which I'm actually saving than the amount of electricity that I'm using and the impact and the actual you know the carbon footprint of yeah. my application it's it's crazy that we can actually think in terms of that now where I was in the same boat as you I remember trying to like I worked at a large pharmaceutical company I have budget approved and then I was ordering compact 580s with Fibretranet all retreated loop which is waiting six months for the help desk to set up IIS and you know like get that kind of stuff in. So I just find it incredible for ideas and, and, and moving quick. So let, let's talk a little bit about AWS Step Functions and how this fits into with serverless and Lambda and this whole kind of view of looking at building these modern applications.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So Step Functions is a, is a workflow service. So a workflow service allows you to take multi-step process, describe it, And it takes responsibility for making those sure those things happen in the right order, to make sure they happen if things fail, and to complete. And that sounds like kind of a simple thing, but when you're talking about doing this at cloud scale and in distributed systems, it's actually a really, really hard problem. The other thing is like cloud systems are typically they're inherently distributed systems. By distributed systems we mean we have lots of different services running in different places, and they all need to work together and to be orchestrated in order to solve a problem. And so that's what Step Functions does. One of the primary characteristics of Step Functions, there are many workflow services that are out there in the universe. The, the biggest one, I think, that's distinctive with Step Functions, it's an inherently visual service. So it's built on what we call a domain-specific language for workflow definitions. It's called the Amazon States Language. You can Google it. There's like a language spec for this. You can go go check it out if you'd like. But new acronym
2: in, alert: ASL.
1: ASL, yeah. <laughs> the other is. There's also American Sign Language. People get that con- convinced or sorry, confused sometimes. And yeah, uh, but no, we're talking about. Brooke the word knows the
2: as the sign language for container.
0: Well, yeah. Also, watch the uh, AWS hero is incredible at ASL we did an interview at oh, really? reInvent for build on live and he was showing us so many different because I only knew the one for container it's like a little box um but there were so many uh so he would be fantastic to talk about ASL for <laughs> ASL.
1: that is awesome so one more thing so on the so it's it's uh the Amazon State was was inherently visual so it, it, it's built around the concept of a state machine which is a familiar concept for technologists yeah uh, and and what you can think about it is it's you describe it as a collection of these states, which think of them as like nodes in a flowchart. And then they're connected to each other. So do this, then do this, and then do this. And aside from like sequencing those together, one one after the other, you can do, them in par- do things in parallel if you want. You can uh, have branches to choice to say, if this happens here, then go that way. If this happens there, you can also do things that are really helpful, like, just describe uh, failure handling. So you know, Werner Vogels is very fond of saying, you know, everything fails all the time, so we need to build yeah. systems that are resilient. And so one of the nice things you can do, and it's also seems simple, but incredibly powerful is say you have a Lambda function that you want to call as a part of your workflow, you just described how to be, in the Amazon States language, how to behave if this thing fails. And so also you can put in error handling, exception handling, and then say to take a different path if that's the case. And one of the things that allows you to do is that code that you're writing in Lambda just becomes super simple. You don't have to worry about all of these complex things. And then the workflow will just execute and make sure that that thing happens in the order it'll handle the failures. And then it'll also allow you not just to be visual in how how you construct this thing, but also how you look at it after. Another challenge with these distributed systems is things are happening all over the place. You mentioned observability earlier. Uh, being able to look at this and say, I had an order process going through my system and it failed. Why did it fail? You can go in, our console will allow you to look at that uh, workflow execution, poke in on finding where where it failed, what happened before, and makes it a lot easier to determine um, determine the source and then to take the appropriate action.
2: I imagine like this can get super complicated, right? Over 220 different AWS services, many different transitions in my state, and I've got payloads moving through this and so you've all created a visual tool for this right workflow student how does that kind of fit in are some of these like i'm just super curious are some of these so asynchronous like they can take days you know if not milliseconds or weeks even
1: absolutely so the we have two kinds of workflows and step functions standard and express so um Standard is the, the workflow type that can run. It can run for up to a year. Uh, and, oh, wow. and so it can run for a very long time. And the default limit within your account is you can have up to a million of these executing at once. So you've got a ton of power in terms right. of in-process can it go scale organization.
2: Duration. Can it go across organizations or single account bound?
1: Uh, we actually recently launched, just a few weeks ago, uh, direct support for cross-account. Oh, beautiful. Uh, so it makes it actually really easy for you. Say you're you're building a workflow that's going to invoke another service, you can assume a role in that other account and go through. And so it doesn't depend. Some folks are probably familiar with resource-based policies as one way we allow cross-account. Yep. That's a great solution, but it's only supported by a subset of AWS services. What we do here is we assume a role in that other account, you assign the privileges to the role in the other account, and then it can it can invoke any of the uh, uh, AWS services that Step Functions integrates with, which is over 200, 220 services, over 10,000 API actions. So pretty much all of AWS Great. and very easy to do this across accounts. Now, the Workflow Studio, so this works very well, but as you're saying, doing this and defining this in a Amazon States language, which is a domain specific language. It's serialized in JSON. It's not a heck of a lot of fun to write. Like writing YAML. Well, you can do it in YAML too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's not a lot of fun. Um, And so, and it can get hard to follow. And so we launched this thing last year called uh, Workflow, Workflow Studio that you mentioned. And it's a really, really cool visual builder for step functions. And so you can hop in there and you can just do a drag and drop, or as my UX designer will, Enforce drag and snap because it maintains this structure. You can drag these things in, and you can visually construct how they work, how they fit, and you can basically draw your architecture. Love it, um, which is amazing. You can also then just search through all of these ten thousand API actions and two hundred twenty services to find the capability that that has Stefan. Sorry, that AWS has, and then just drag that into your workflow and make it a part of your application. So it really it takes this. What can be a daunting experience for customers, 220 services, 10,000, that's just a lot of functionality and it can be overwhelming and it makes it a lot easier to then take that and make it for the power it is and compose it into great solutions.
0: Yeah, and I think visual tools like that are really helpful for builders on their own. But then if you're working as part of an enterprise team, having a really visual thing To map out and show in meetings or on screens or something just helps get everyone on the same page, Um, especially if it's a proprietary language or something like that. Just having a single source of truth that even if you're non-technical, you can still get the gist of what's going on. I think that's really valuable as a feature.
1: Agreed, Brooke. And and so we allow you to to take those diagrams that you've built to export them into images and to take them and use them elsewhere. And we hear this, but from quite a few customers, what they're able to do is they have an idea and they can prototype it together and then they can share it with other people and say, this is, this is how it's going to work. And they'll say, oh, well, I actually didn't think it would behave that way. I thought it would behave this way. And it really facilitates a lot of uh, clarity, understanding what's happening in the, in the cloud, but also happening um, with, across your organization.
0: Yeah, definitely. I saw at reInvent as well, there was another announcement for Step Functions, the distributed map. Uh, The blog post says it's a serverless solution for large-scale parallel data processing. Um, Do you have any other information maybe that's more attainable for people about what it actually is or even uh, when developers might need to use it?
1: Yeah, I'll try to unpack that one a little bit. Um, We always have a lot of fun trying to figure out how to describe these things in a one-sentence blurb. Um, I talked earlier about how the Amazon States language allows you to, aside from uh, doing these tasks to invoke other services to do work, it also has control to flow to, for the flow of your workflow. Um, I talked about how you have choices and you have parallels. So to say, I want the same thing to be done across two different workflows. We also have this thing that we call the map state. And map state is about dynamic parallelism. And so Where the parallel state says I have two different types of workflows, I want to do each of those for the same input, map goes the other way and says I want to pass in an array of inputs and I want to apply the same workflow, sub-workflow definition to each one of those items. And customers find this super helpful because they oftentimes have a case where they have they have such a scenario where they have things that can be broken up into batches that can be done in parallel and then aggregated back together at the end. And so we launched this, I think, in 2019. And it's been a really, really popular feature, uh, allowing people to, to have parallelism built into their, their step functions workflows. Now, the the challenge, though, with with this has been that it has some limitations on its scale. And a lot of those are kind of Due to the laws of, laws of physics and how we've sure. built the system underneath, and so it could only each one of these what we call workflow executions could only have a certain number of uh, of state events that it can run. We call history events. Uh, also, because we provide what's called an at most once execution model with standard workflows, which means we won't execute the same task of yours more than once in a distributed system. Turns out that's a pretty hard problem, but that's probably oh, right. for another podcast to go into. Um, it means it limits the scale at which one of these can move. And so then the amount of parallelisms, those could only go up to about 40 items in process at a time as well, given that there's almost so much state, yeah. it meant the like the jobs that you could run were smaller. And so we that's have a lot like of customers the, saying we want to that's do more. The Shannon,
2: that's the Shannon limit on the human mind. We can only process 40 bits of information. Is it? Uh, per second, yeah, we have tens of millions of information from our visual, our hearing, our touch. Uh, some people will go higher; like scientists can say, some people go up to seventy, but the average is forty. We can hold no more than forty things in our head at any second.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly it. And uh, however, a lot of people can hold a lot of things in their mind at once. And so right. this is this is where distributed map came along. And so we we looked at what customers were doing and. There are ways that you could using the step functions and doing a thing we called nesting, where you can have one workflow that calls another workflow. And so you could use that map state so that it would call out to another workflow and you could use that to, to fan out and then fan back in. But you ended up doing just a lot of work doing this. The other thing that customers told us was I mentioned earlier about standard workflows and express workflows. So standard workflows are it's really one of the only services that's cheap to wait in the cloud. Because you can, these things can go for up to a year and you only pay when that thing is progressing. And that can be oh. great when they're slow moving. Yeah. not so great when they're moving super fast. And so that can add up really quickly. And so we launched uh, in 2019 as well, something called Express Workflows. And those only run for up to five minutes. They're like, they have an at least once execution model. So they might get run more uh, more than once, but they have a Lambda like, Pricing model. You pay for the executions and the durations rather than the number of state transitions. And so, another angle that people have when they're building uh, before we did launch distributed map is they would compose those together, but they would have to have those as separate workflow definitions. And so, we've made this just a heck of a lot easier with distributed map. So, you can think of distributed map as starting with what we had before, which we're now calling inline map, but has now a few changes. The first one is the items that you want to source in, they don't need to flow through the workflow state. Something I didn't mention earlier, as you're going through that flow chart, the system only supports 256 kilobytes of data flowing between each of those. And that can also be a limit that you hit on. And so instead of that, now what you can do is you have something called the item reader and you can go off to S3 to to access and, and source these objects. And you can kind of do it in two ways. One is you can do a list of objects that are in S3 bucket. And you can say, I just want to iterate over this S3 bucket and prefix. And each one of those, I want to be an item that goes into my sub workflows. Or you can read in um, a file that contains uh, an inventory list from S3 or a JSON file with an array or a CSV file. And so if you have these files that are sitting in S3 and you just want to iterate off of those, you can process them. You don't have to worry about that fitting in a 256 kilobytes to go into your map state.
2: Love it. And can that be dynamic too? Or do you need like the full everything ahead of time?
1: In in, uh, dynamic in what sense?
2: Do I need to know the locations of everything, every S3 bucket as I'm going through my workflow or... No, I mean, that's one f-
1: of the things you have the full flexibility of the, the Amazon States language allows you to manipulate oh, nice. the parameters you're sending based on the input. So you can come in and say, well, maybe I'm going to have like a different bucket or a different yeah. prefix for this thing that comes in and you define and figure that out in earlier parts of your workflow. And then you can dynamically determine that. So it's it's uh, super, super helpful powerful. or you may chain these together. So you use the output of one that goes into the input of the next. So that's how we the item reader helps us source. More of these uh, items more easily from S3 saves you a whole bunch of work. We then get to the distributed part. So now instead of that sub workflow being running within the same execution, we now split that out into separate workflow executions that are spread out across your account. And that's where we get that scale and the analogy that we were talking about earlier. Now you have a whole bunch of different brains thinking about those all at the same time. We distribute those out and you can just specify whether those child executions are going to be express or standard. You don't need to create another definition. It makes it just way easier to do that. And with that, you can go up to a concurrency of 10,000 workflow, yeah, wow. workflow executions per distributed map state.
2: Can you decide what the, that concurrency can be? So you know the, the amount that I want running, the amount of retries if something fails, and how I'm looking at running all that together?
1: Yeah. So, so you have a, a, a parameter called max concurrency. You can determine the max number that we'll go to. So right. that's super helpful. You also, in the what we call the item processor, which is the sub-workflow, you define all of your retries the same way you would normally within the Amazon State's language. But you can also have uh, some enhanced failure handling that we added. So under normal circumstances default, say you had uh, a million items that you were iterating over, uh, if any of those child executions failed, you could put a retry but it would retry the entire thing or else the entire workflow would fail if you didn't put that on the distributed map. And that might not be what you want. Maybe it is if it's an all or nothing. Uh, but what you can also do is say, maybe I'm okay if like five of these or if 5% of these fail. And you can specify that and then your big processing job will complete and you won't be blocked. And that is super helpful. And then after the, these executions have run, then we have something called the item, or sorry, the, the result writer which means now I've got all these results. If I tried to put that back into 256 kilobytes of workflow state, it would explode. Yeah. So instead, you can actually write those back to S3. And so all the results of those independent executions then get written back to a, a JSON file in S3, and then you can continue on from there. And as I was saying earlier, those failures will go into a different fail. All the items that failed are, the, are put into a separate file. So if you want to pick those up and build your own logic to process them, then you can do so and you can combine these together.
2: Is there any guidance that you have? Like I know you support batching. You know, how do I make this efficient? When how do you handle S3 buckets that, you know, some of these objects can be very, very large. Yeah. Uh, it, is there it, any kind of guidance around that?
1: Yeah, there are a few things that I would uh like suggest thinking about. One is if you if you have a really large amount of items, I would look at the S3 inventory list just as a great way to get those lists created for you on a scheduled basis.
0: Ah, uh, you man. mentioned
1: You mentioned batching, and I think this is a really important one. It's a subtle but really powerful technique. So we very often use batching for different purposes, but usually it's about efficiency. When you batch things, it means you can avoid redoing things that you didn't have to do. And turns out that can make a massive difference in terms of your efficiency and scale. But one of the challenges that you can have when you're batching is saying, how big should my batch be? Should it be 5? Should it be 10? And the number may depend on on variability in the source that you're working in. And so what that often allows, requires you to do is kind of have a lowest common denominator. That means you're not actually being as efficient as you might be able to be. So one of the things that the team thought of here, and I think is super cool, is what you can enable batching with distributed map, and we will make sure that as we're going through these items, we'll take a set of them in a batch to send to each child workflow execution. But you can specify a maximum number and or a maximum size of the payload. And so we will then make sure that the right we dynamically determine the number of items to send through that will optimize for both of those. Uh, and it really is great because then you can really optimize the efficiency and processing of your system.
2: Yeah, because some of these, you know, some of these may have tens of thousands of files that are very small size, or they could be very big files in a different number. I love that. So it's it's almost like um, what you're doing now is it's the same piece of code, but you just want to run it against every single object. <laughs> in that S3 bucket without creating this insane workflow. It's like you're almost enumerating through a workflow over and over that's again, right. based on the amount of objects, Just is yeah. super cool. And,
1: and that's exactly, it. that's one of the ways, uh, you know, Adam Wagner, we did a presentation together. And you know, how he put it's like, if you have code that processes an object or a set of objects and you wanna do that to a whole ton of objects, this is gonna be way, way easier.
0: Yeah, definitely. Do you think, You were saying that you attended reInvent as a customer first. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's part of attending reInvent as a customer that shaped how you've communicated some of the stuff about the launches at this year's reInvent for Step Functions?
1: I've certainly tried to. Uh, You know, one of the things when I, I've been to other tech conferences in my career before, and what I was blown away by at at reInvent the first time I went was just how much like really great, useful technical information there was. I was used to going to conferences that were mostly thinly veiled vendor pitches. And I would learn like maybe one good thing in a in a day. And I would actually consider that successful. I was just blown away at how much useful information. And so I was trying to put myself back into there and thinking, as we launch this, and we talk about it and share it, I, I wanted to be able to provide some of that and contribute back as well so that people can come away from it and feel that they've really, really learned. And I think it's, It's really awesome as well in terms of just how we think about approaching our customers and how we want to build these things that are going to be easy for them to understand and help them learn and be more successful in building in the cloud and in their careers.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because this is quite a technical topic, but it's something that's really useful to builders. Um, If people are out there looking to get started, I guess, first of all, how would they know this is a problem (laughs) that they would need to solve? Um, And then do you have any pointers on where they can get started learning about this?
1: Yeah. So there are a few angles. So distributed map itself, if you find yourself with a, a problem where you have you have a bunch of data that's sitting in S3 and you have some application code that you want to use in order to process that, that's going to be a really key indication. Oftentimes you'll have code where maybe it's a part of a web API that you're using behind API Gateway and Lambda. And, and now you want to use this to process a whole bunch of things. And that's a really straightforward uh, change that you would want to look at very easy to apply that so this is really one of those scenarios where we really frequently have data in s3 that we really want to process but some of it may be items that you that are living elsewhere but that you can build a list of in s3 so if you have a lot of those you want to process them and you want to not have to you don't have the skill set within your org maybe to go off and learn how to do EMR and maybe that is not really the right tech for you it really allows you to kind of stay in your wheelhouse now if you want to learn about step functions, uh, what I would recommend is there's a really fantastic publicly available workshop that you can find. And hopefully we can add a link yes. to this. Yeah, love uh, functions. When I was, when I was at reInvent, so uh, Dan Fox and some others and, and some have built this and it's, a, it's a really great workshop. It's publicly available. Anyone can go and do it. And you can run it in your account and it really gives you an, a deep understanding of what step functions is and how it works. And I would really encourage people who are interested to go through that because as Step Functions is a service that does require a little bit of time investment to kind of grok what it's doing and understand it. And once you get it, then you'll be able to see much more broadly how you'll apply it. And I think that team has done an awesome job. I was lucky enough to sneak in in person, um, past the line and past the bouncers at reInvent to uh, when this was presented to a bunch of customers, and it was really fantastic to see you know, a couple hundred people in a room uh, going through this and learning. And I think it's fantastic that this is just available for anyone. So I really encourage you checking it out.
0: You're joking about there being bouncers, but um, Dave genuinely was actually my bouncer at my talk, my first talk at Real. <laughs> I was moving
2: I was moving chairs around, yeah. Brooke, they, they had a line and, and we had to turn people away. And then I found chairs. I was like, I got four chairs, let's let four more people in. So it's it's great, you know, customers were
0: interested in
2: the in the topic. So I agree. The
0: important context is Dave was wearing a sports coat for this. So I think that really just gave the bouncer vibes. My jersey
2: vibe. bouncer vibes yeah. came out. Nice. Right? Nice.
1: What's <laughs> um, got
0: you excited yeah. about the future? Like is there something you're excited to work on as a team, or are you excited just to take some time off over the holidays?
1: I'm definitely excited to take some time off. I'll you know, I was joking, we have reInvent and then it's time to recover. I find reinvent such a an exhilarating and exhausting um, experience. It's just yeah, uh, it's just so amazing. And so you know, right now, uh, myself and the team, this is the time where we're getting ready to like take some well learned uh, downtime to you know recharge the batteries. But we've also been like working through and clarifying our plans from this year. And you know, lots of stuff I can't talk about now. But I'm pretty excited. You know, incredibly excited about what's coming from some new stuff that we want to get out into the hands of customers. Uh, but when I look forward to next year, I'm what I'm really in the next uh, while. I'm just really interested in seeing what people can build in the serverless space and in the just the uh, and serverless as a writ large. Sometimes people will tend to think of serverless as equals lambda, but I don't really see it that way. I see it as a a much bigger thing. You know, services like Step Functions, Event Bridge. API gateway that all work together and allow you to build in a way that, as we were talking at the beginning, you can move at a pace and maintain that pace that just would have been unimaginable before. And what I'm seeing is I'm just so excited these new capabilities we've launched just to see in the hands of customers, what do they do? You look at this distributed map feature, it was informed by our customers using it in a way that uh, we didn't necessarily expect. Or, or we didn't expect it would be so important to them. And so mostly what I'm looking forward to is what our customers are going to do with the stuff we've done before, the stuff we've just done, and how we can just continue to support them and make them more successful in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely. If you're listening to this, if you build something cool, please tell us about it. It's something that we always, we get so excited internally about stuff like this. So definitely reach out if you build something cool. Um, how can people find you, Justin?
1: Oh, I, I hang out on, on LinkedIn. I hang out hang out on Twitter uh, those are a couple of places to go find me for sure. Um, and I, as you you said, Brock, uh, we love to. My team does. The team just loves. The, they put their heart and soul. There's a ton and ton of passion that they put into what they build. And when they get to hear about how you've used it, how it's helped you, it's really great feedback. And it's you know great to hear the things that have worked, the things that haven't worked, the things we can do better. We really love to hear all of that.
0: Definitely, I'm excited to see what everyone's building um, and everyone's feedback about the new features. Thanks so much for joining us, Justin. Thank you. And thank you, Dave, for letting me guest co-host again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, just. This was this was
2: great. I love step functions. I love everything the, the the team is doing. And and congrats on the launch. Hopefully, you get a bunch of rest and looking forward to what you build next.
1: Awesome. Thank you.